Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Today we have a writer who's on the rise at Marvel Comics. Mr. Jed McKay is here to talk about his work. Jed, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you uh, for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, uh, like I said, your your star has been on the rise. The overnight success story, you know, like the one that <laughs> takes the one that takes 10 years, right? At least. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. That's my my first Marvel work was in uh, 2010. So yeah, and, and from then, uh, sort of one of those situations, and I, and I want to make this clear, everybody, because, again, this isn't something that Jed just fell into. I've, I've seen people talking, oh, you know, right place, right time. You have been wanting to be a comic creator for a really long time and honing your craft, working mm-hmm. on your skills. And uh, I say this all the time. It, it's not about getting the right opportunity and lucky into it. It's seizing that opportunity when it comes along and being ready because you've been preparing for for so long you were making your own comics long before you had a chance at marvel uh yeah i mean not certainly not as not as much as uh you know a lot of other people have but you know i was making comics with my friend sheldon back in like 2005 um that said i mean i would be remiss in saying that there was not a great uh deal of right place and right time in my situation (laughs) in that uh you know basically the entirety of my published work is through Marvel. Uh, I didn't have the, uh, the kind of into yourself publishing grind that a lot of people went through. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, you're right in that there's, there's luck and there's being ready to take advantage of an opportunity, but you know, there is a lot of right place and right time in my situation. Yeah. And again, to your credit though, you've seized those opportunities, whether it's okay now we're going to do a Taskmaster book because mm. he's in the Black Widow movie, or now we're going to do a Moon Knight book because he has a, a TV show uh, available, turning in your stuff on time and turning in quality work. Yeah. I mean, that's the trick. Like there's, 
it's, it's what you know tell people and they say oh how do you how do you break into comics and that there's no there's no set way this is going to happen a lot of it is just kind of up to chance it may happen or it may not but the only thing you do have control over is you know being ready to take advantage of that opportunity you know if and when it comes up yeah and you so for those that aren't aware uh jed is canadian uh prince edward island if i'm not mistaken that's where I'm from. Yeah, I live in uh, Nova Scotia currently, but uh, yeah, my my heart still so so beats that red soil. <laughs> uh, the reason I bring that up because is because I've heard you mention uh, Alpha Flight as one of your your favorite teams, uh, a property mm-hmm. you want to work on. And in fact, uh, if anybody's watching this on YouTube, you'll see the uh, the anthology that you did with a couple of fellow yeah. Canadian Marvel writers, uh, uh, Ed Brisson and Jim Zub, who have both been on the on the show before. Uh, is it is it just the inherent Canadianness of Alpha Flight that that has them uh, so high up on your list of things you'd like to work on? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they're, like, they're the only Canadian superhero team in uh, the Marvel universe, and there's just something very endearing about them because you know I love Alpha Flight, but they're also kind of losers, and <laughs> there's something very charming about that combination. You know, in one respect, because it's kind of funny. You know, there's you know, uh, in the early days, Guardians is always just like, man, I'm poor all the time. This sucks. You know, the, the, yep. the, exchange, the exchange rate between the Canadian and the U.S. dollars really <laughs> screwing me over. I'm like, yeah, preach, dude. Except, actually, it does me quite well since I get paid by an American company. Um, but also, there's a certain kind of pay, like relatable pathos, you know, especially when, you, when you're talking about Guardian, where he, he's a guy who's not very good at being a superhero. And he probably shouldn't be a superhero because he keeps dying. And one of the times he died is because his wife came in the room at the wrong time and his suit exploded and it killed him. But all that said, he doesn't give up and he keeps going at it. And that's what I really love about Guardian. And to an extent, you kind of see that through a lot of the Alpha Flight characters because they're all really kind of screwed up in their own ways. And it's something that I think is glossed over a lot where it's just kind of the general idea is like, Oh, they're, they're the Canadian superhero team, but also they're a group of people who are really screwed up. And I find it really charming the way that, you know, they, they stick to it. They keep going, you know, despite, despite all of them dying several times over that despite, uh, you know, an apathetic American comic buying public who doesn't want to keep the book going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just very charming. I, I find as like a superhero team, I feel like they have more akin to like Doom Patrol than like anything else. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, and, you know, here we are saying, yeah, they struggle to, to you know, find sales or find an audience. But mm. that original series launched by John Byrne went 100 and almost 160 issues, I think. Yeah, it was like 155, 157, something like that. Yeah, oh, I know. But also that was in a, you know, a time period when, you know, <sighs> almost any book can go for a fairly significant run. That's true. That's true. I mean, I, I, yeah. Wasn't like a Ronald Reagan comic book at one point. <laughs> it's got 40 issues out of a, uh, out of Ronald Reagan. Well, the other thing is that's so different now too, is yeah. Uh, back then the publishers sort of wanted a, a stable creative team to stay on a book for a really long time. And now it's kind of like, and you get up above uh, 20 issues and they start thinking, well, we need to bring on somebody new, which I find so strange. I mean, if the book is selling well, why would you want to switch it up? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of decisions to get made. It's, it's far beyond my pay grade. Yeah, fair enough. 
you did get uh, quite a run out of a, another character that most people wouldn't necessarily consider A-list, and that's uh, Black Cat. But it was yeah. split up into into two, which I, I found kind of interesting. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But it did seem to be one whole co- cohesive story from start to finish, even though you had a little bit of a, kind of a break in the middle. Did you ha- sort of have the ending in mind where you wanted Felicia to be that that kind of last arc with her mom? Did you have that in mind right when you started the series or, or early on when you were uh, planning it out? Uh, no. So basically when we started Black Cat, um, you know, it was the first ongoing I'd done. So it was the first book I had where there wasn't a, you know, a set end point that I was preparing for and trying to figure it out, which you know, presents its own challenges, especially for the first time you're doing it. But uh, and I started out, I asked Nick, you know, the editor, I was like, listen, what, you know, what should I plan for? Cause you know, you got to get your outlines and set up your arcs, try to figure things out. And he said, well, you know, hopefully we'll get 10. Uh, you know, if we get, if we get shut down at five, like a lot of series do, then, you know, be prepared to handle that. But, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed for lucky. We'll get to 10 issues. So that was the plan. I had everything set up. It was going to wind up in uh, by issue 10, which at that point was just that whole, you know, black Fox Steve's guild story. Um, but, you know, it did better than people expected. And it kind of, that sort of uh, end point kept getting extended further and further. So what was originally going to be 10 issues, we expanded out to oh, 17 issues, I think. Um, however, we got the, got the chop during COVID. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of, the, the world ground to a halt and the comic book industry was no, was no different. And Black Cat was one of those series that, wasn't you know wasn't deemed as you know commercially viable or perhaps certainly like flagship important as a lot of other books so it got put on a hiatus and so there's a, a period of time when you know we had no black cat books coming out uh you know i was assured that we would get back to we get it back going at some point excuse me but uh there was no sort of set idea on that because we shut down at issue 12 i had already written issues 13 14 15 16. Yeah. I think I had about four issues in the can. So that would have taken us right to the end of the, um, that black Fox story. So those weren't, uh, when you had written them at that that time, they weren't necessarily the King and black tie-ins that we saw when it relaunched. No, because the King of black time, King black times didn't exist at that point. So when we relaunched, okay, we're coming off hiatus. We're getting back in production. Um, there's, there's a few, few tricks we got to do first, first off of doing with new number one. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Well, yeah. Makes sense. That's right. about, what you, about what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also we're starting off with a three-part King of Black tie-in because King of Black was going on at the time. You know, Felicia's uh, also an ancillary Spider-Man character. It's, it just kind of ties in. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'll do the three, three-part King of Black and then we get back to, you know, what we were doing before because that, that Queen Cat issue was supposed to be issue 13. Mm-hmm. And it became issue four of the new series. Well, new series. It's the same series, except some different numbers and a little bit of messing about. Um, so yeah, we basically we did that, ran out that series, and then Nick was like, okay, well, we've we've got we're still extended, we can do another arc. And we kind of put our heads together and like, well, let's you know, let's go big, we'll do like an infinity stones then. And I was aware that you know having this this next arc approved didn't necessarily mean there was going to be another arc approved because I mean, again, we're talking about a black cat series here. You know, it's not, it's not Iron Man, you know, it's not X-Men. So 
when I started working on that series, once I figured out what it was going to look like, that ending was one of the first things I came up with because I was like, this is a very real possibility. This book could end here. And I think this would be a really great ending. And as it turned out, it did. <laughs> and uh, because I was like, you know, if we get another arc after this, then we'll deal with the, the repercussions of this ending, you know, moving into another arc. But as it turned out, it just ended up being a pretty good sort of capstone for the, uh, the series. And I think uh, a lot of people, I mean, obviously Moon Knight is, is huge right now. He's definitely having a moment, you, you know, mm. you're the writer on that series and, and we'll definitely get into it. Uh, but for me, uh, you're always going to be synonymous with Black Cat now because you did such a phenomenal job with her. And I feel like this is a yep. really a character defining run. You really went back to her, her roots, you know, who she was at, at the beginning when she showed up in Amazing Spider-Man 194, created by uh, Marv Wolfman and, and, uh, and Keith Pollard. She's gone through different iterations. I mean, most recently, she almost inexplicably for anybody who was a fan of her in the 80s with this queen pin thing and, and really leaning in to try to take over all the crime families, which never really gelled uh, with her personality. You really brought her back to the, to the core of the character, uh, I feel like. But you also made it, you know, kind of fun and, and adventure. I mean, do you really feel like uh, or do you mind that, that people might associate Black Cat in your run with you know, those two things will be, be uh, synonymous yourself and the character. Oh, I mean, I think that would be great. Um, you know, anytime you take on a new character, you, I mean, I, you know, every time you, a writer takes on or anybody really takes on a new book with a character they've not worked on before. And especially if it's someone who, you know, hasn't had an ongoing series before, you always hope you're like, this is going to be the defining, this is going to be the defining art for this, <laughs> this uh, defining run for this character, you know? So the fact that people are responding to it well, makes me really happy. And, you know, it's, it, it accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish was to create new fans for this character. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, as the series went on, picked it up and said, you know, I never thought I'd like a Black Cat book. Or I never thought I'd be excited for a Black Cat book. And for me, that's kind of the, the, the greatest mark of success you can get is people who have, would have zero interest in this character are interested in them. You know, going from being completely disinterested to becoming a believer, I think is is you know, it's it's a real accomplishment, it's a real vote of confidence. So, um, I'm I'm very happy with the work that I did with you know our, my my various collaborators, uh, you know the, the artists who did all the actual hard work and the the heavy lifting, and uh, you know I'm, I'm hopeful that it will stand the test of time. Yeah, I I think it will because again you 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 grounded her, you made her fun. She clearly was the you know, the Felicia Hardy that we, that we first met, you know, with the wanting the approval of her father, wanting the approval of, of her mother. Um, and yeah, you really played with that and and showed that to me, that's where I relate to Felicia. I'm not a, a cat burglar, you know, I'm not a sexy <laughs> woman, but my end for her is, is how much she cares about, uh, you know, her father who's passed and, and obviously her mother with what happens in the last arc. And even the, the way that she feels about her crew, you know, she's always, yeah. that that's her immediate family sort of, uh, and so I think you guys really nailed that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, that was one of the things I really enjoyed working on black cat is, I mean, you know, I didn't create any of these characters, um, you know, Lydia Hardy, Boris corpse, uh, Bruno Granger, they all existed before, but, you know, bringing them, bringing them back out of retirement, well, not retirement, but, you know, bringing them back up again and, you know, brushing the, brushing the dust off and seeing how they interact with this character in a modern setting was a lot of fun and, you know, trying to kind of define what, what her social life is, what her support network is. Um, you know, I've, I've 
I really enjoyed that first issue where she was hanging out with her mom. I think it was issue seven or so. You know, she's hanging, hanging with, with her mom at that uh, flea market uh, and uh, under the bridge in New York. And it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun because her mom just does not take any of her shit. Yep. So yeah, it's uh, it was, it was a real treat. Yeah. It's, I, I could definitely relate to that because my mom's the same way with me. <laughs> she doesn't take any of my crap at all. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned wanting to go big, you know, if this was going to be the last arc, it turned out it was, you really can't go much bigger in the Marvel universe than the infinity stones. And when we no. start talking about who Felicia is, yeah, much more of a, a grounded character. In fact, in that uh, in the first issue when you guys returned and it's that fight against Null with Captain America and everything, she even kind of says, you know, this is not what yeah. I do, you know, out this, here. This is not my thing. Yeah, this is not my thing, fighting a, a, a battle to try to prevent the world from ending. So to have the Infinity Stones, uh, I thought was was fantastic. And then that sort of tied in. You got to sort of do this um, event that crossed through a lot of the, mm. the Marvel annuals. Uh, where you did the backup story with Nighthawk and and whatnot. So were those annuals already planned out? Like how did that, how did that tie in sort of uh, end up working out? It, um, so I had been putting, putting ideas together for the uh, infinity score, the, the black cat story. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I went down to New York in you know, just before COVID hit in uh, February of 2020. So, uh, you know, I had some meetings at the Marvel offices where I talked to folks and they're like, well, we're doing this thing called infinite destinies. And we think it'd be a great way to kind of, you know, run up to this black cat arc. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Cause like they want it, they're like, we've had these infinity stone characters floating around and we want to do something with them. And, you know, we might as well have you do it since you're going to be having them uh, appear in your, your black cat series. So I was like, great. Yeah, sure. So I kind of, you know, was figuring out the general idea of how it's going to work. Um, I mean, they, they were pretty disparate and disconnected as, as far as like the individual stories went, mm-hmm. but then we had the, you know, the fury and Nighthawk thing running through the back of it, which, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I think that was a, a story that I think came out really well. And, you know, Juan Ferreira's work on it was just amazing. So, and, you know, I, I like, I really like Nick Fury. Um, I think he's a character that a lot of people kind of dismiss, but for me, I'm just like, he, he just works. Yeah. And then bringing, uh, you know, this new newer version of, of Nighthawk in that Jason yeah. Aaron created for his Heroes Reborn. Uh, yeah, that dynamic, especially they're both African-American guys. And and yeah, I mean, Juan is amazing. I've had the opportunity to, to meet him a few times. Uh, yeah, it just it just worked. I, I thought it was it was a lot like, of fun. I feel like you almost never see anyone who can do the because um, he does this like double page spreads where he goes in this direction, then switches direction and switches right. again. Like it's you almost never see anyone be able to do that. And he's just like, yeah, watch me. Yeah. Well, and the fact that a lot of times he colors his own work too. Yeah. So you get that pure what's in his head, you know, comes out on the page. So, so well, so, yeah. Uh, and, and you, you're not completely done with black cat either. Right. We do have a, uh, an, uh, an iron man, black cat for a crossover. We saw back in, in the, in the first run issue 11, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, issues we saw the, 11 and 12. Yeah, the is the Iron Cat armor, right? Is that Iron how Cat? Yeah. Too. So, uh, is that going to be an ongoing? What What's the story on the on the Iron Cat? Uh, Iron Cat's a mini. Uh, this will be five issues starting in June. Yes, June, I believe. So, yeah, it's it's. I'm very excited for it. It was uh, that was originally going to be the next arc of Black Cat after Infinity Scores. Gotcha. So, you know, had we kept going, uh, this Iron Cat, excuse me, arc would have been the next one. So it's nice to get a kind of second chance 
to uh, to do something that originally I thought was kind of dead in the water. Uh, you know, it's a little different from what it was originally going to be because just you know the demands of the story of being a black cat story as following a, the previous stories to being a, a black cat Iron Man team up that has more stand on its own. But uh, no, I'm I mean, I'm pretty psyched for it. I mean getting such great pages back from pair and uh, like, he's a man, he's such talent. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, I was sad to see Spider-Woman end cause it was one of my favorite series, but it freed him up for this. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to get your take uh, not only on iron cat, but uh, you know, which we've seen a little bit before, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, but you're getting to take on Tony Stark again. Uh, you see a character. He's so complicated, uh, right? There's so many layers to Tony Stark. Is he somebody you like writing? Where, where's your in mm-hmm. uh, to write? To write Stark, I, I really like Tony Stark. He um, he's a character that you can can go in a lot of different ways. Where you know a lot of times you have characters who are like, oh, they're the wild card, or like, oh, they're the serious one. But depending on who Iron Man is with, he can kind of go either way. Mm. And I think that's really fun because he's a guy who thinks that he's kind of like a wild and crazy guy. But when he's presented with someone who's more irritating than he is, he just kind of like gets really frustrated and upset. <laughs> So I, I, I'll leave you to guess uh, how that's going to shake out with Black Cat. Yeah, he yeah, he's usually not playing the straight man, but I have a feeling yeah. with Felicia in the room, he'll be relegated to that role. Oh, yeah. I mean, like he, he's not going to he's not going to out wildcard Felicia. That's for sure. And also, you know, they're not exactly on the best terms, given uh, she really pulled one over on him back in uh, Black Cat number 12. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, another character you took on briefly that's also v- very layered, very nuanced. You sort of bridged the gap between the end of Charles Soule's Daredevil and mm. when Chip Zdarsky uh, came on the book. And Charles really, man, he, he made it super challenging for everyone who's going to f- follow him, right? Like, and he talked about it. It's this tradition uh, of a Daredevil writer will leave the you know upcoming writer in a really tough yeah. spot. Mark Wade left Daredevil behind bars when uh, Soule took over. Charles killed Matt Murdock. He's dead. And then you've got to come in and kind of set things up for, uh, for Chip Zdarsky. So talk a little bit about the challenge of that and, uh, and working on that man without fear, uh, mini. Yeah. So, you know, Charles put, uh, put Matt in a, a very difficult position and, you know, we already knew what Chip was going to be doing and they thought, well, let's, let's do a thing to kind of bridge the gap here. So Devin emailed me just after Dodge the Dragon. This is like my second series, I think. No, Ghost Panther is my second series. But this is like my second real full-length miniseries. And um, he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to bridge the gap here. Daredevil's going to be get hit by a truck. He's going to be in a hospital. He's going to be dead. This book's going to be called, you know, Man Without Fear, Death of Daredevil. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, it's like, you know, he's going to be in the hospital at the beginning in a coma. At the end, he's got to be ready to get out of the hospital. I'm like, so wait, he's in the hospital for five issues? They're like, yes. I'm like, okay, that presents uh, some interesting <laughs> challenges. Right? It, yeah. So, so I'm like 100, 100 pages of Daredevil in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, was, you know, it was a really interesting challenge. And it was you know, very, very intimidating to work on a character with the sort of clout that Daredevil has, given that you know, previously I worked on Daughters of the Dragon. And, uh, you know, Ghost Panther. And then they're like, oh, here, do a Daredevil. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was very exciting. And, um, you know, it also was a weekly book too. So I was, I was teaching junior high full time. And then I would have to write a Daredevil script every weekend. And uh, it was a, 
a very, a very tight schedule. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, because because that, that was a thing uh, about it that it it was paced interestingly. Because even as a reader, having it come out weekly, it felt like it was going really fast because mm-hmm. you had an issue every week. But at the same time, there wasn't necessarily a lot of forward momentum because it, for anybody who hasn't read it, it's really about Matt making the decision to still be Daredevil, yeah. considering all the pain that yeah. he's gone through, and you really sort of boiled who Daredevil and Matt are down to that. And, and, you know, you explore even the different aspects. He's got his Matt Murdock personality, you know, not unlike Moon Knight in a lot of ways, he's got his Matt, uh, he's got his man without fear. He's got his devil personality. He's got his Murdock personality and they're all sort of, you know, different and and have different aspects Mm -hmm. to them. So uh, yeah, it must've presented a great challenge to you to figure out how am I going to pace this thing correctly to, to, you know, give five issues uh, and still keep it engaging. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, going from, going from a coma to being, well, again, as we've seen, not really that ready to be Daredevil again, right. but you know, uh-huh. he's, he's, he's going to give it the old college try uh, was, you know, it's interesting. I'm like, okay, you know, laying it out. I'm like, okay, this issue, he's going to be awake, but he's going to be in the bed. This issue, he's going to be awake, but in a wheelchair, this issue, he's going to be, you know, sort of walking, et cetera. And then at the same time, figuring out, you know, the flashbacks that's going to illustrate the point that we're trying to make in the present and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it was tough. Uh, it, it was, there was a pretty steep learning curve for me, given that, uh, you know, it was, it was a big book that was coming up very quickly. So I had to learn very quickly, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I was very happy with it. And, you know, I got to do, you know, every issue had the, the kind of the, the same themes, first page with the credits because i was like i want to do like a live in to live and die in la credits mm-hmm. but in a comic book i'm like i don't really know sh- not really sure how it's going to work but we'll give it a try we'll see how it goes and yeah you know got to work with such great artists on it so yeah it's definitely a, a series i i recommend if anybody's kind of curious about where Daredevil, daredevil is i because i know a lot of people jumped on with the the Zar- uh zadarsky mm-hmm. run it's like okay why is he this way like a little weakened like go and read jed's uh me and you'll you'll really understand that that yeah like he said he not really ready but gonna yeah. give it the call the college try uh and yeah you know to, from that to you know black cat and then obviously as we mentioned moon knight really kind of staying in this sort of street level character mm-hmm. uh but then we've got dr strange to, to talk about too but let's talk about moon knight first because uh, yeah. as i said he's he's having a moment and what i love about your run and uh, i think and this was a surprise to me i heard you say that it it was sort of an editorial mandate to say, Hey, we're not going to focus on the, the DID stuff, which that wasn't a big focus when Moon Knight first came on the scene. And a lot of writers, I don't know, maybe it's their in or they, what they find most interesting about them. It's sort of what I find least interesting about him. Uh, and so I like that your run is more, you know, focused away from that. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, is it just the editorial mandate that makes you go that direction or is that not something that you see as key to the character and you more want to focus on his you know, relationship with his, his community and his, you know, this idea of wanting to do good, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that the idea is an important part of Moon Knight, uh, especially as it's been established so far, because it speaks to issues of mental health and especially issues of mental health that are important to a lot of readers, where you, you see fair, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it being very um, relatable or, you know, being, an, being an exemplar of someone who's out there with, you know, various mental health disorders. Uh, that said, I, I think 
not getting right into it from the get-go was the smart move as far as an editorial decision because we're looking to you know re reroute Moon Knight in a, in a whole new kind of status quo. And well, I mean, as whole new as it can be when he's still beating up people on the streets. Right. But uh, you know, we're we're trying to set up something new. And going getting into DID from the beginning, and in the same way with the other editorial mandate of like we're not gonna get too into conscious stuff either. Both of those things just are like kind of like big black holes that just draw everything into it because they're, they're both very big story issues for Moon Knight. They're very big things that uh, just have a real pull, a real gravity. So putting those not, you know, and again, they're not disappeared entirely. They're not brushed under the rug. These are things that we're going to address as time goes on. But taking those first, you know, 12 issues or so to look and explore what this new status quo for Moon Knight looks like, what it looks like when he's, you know, divorce himself from the god that he serves uh when it, where he's out on the streets again where he's building a new supporting cast um i think it's important to focus on that to show people say he, okay here's moon Knight. you've seen him before here's how it's different and you know take a look see if you like it yeah again i think it works really well i mean i always took the because even when he was first around, it was it wasn't even called dissociative identity disorder. You know, it was called multiple personality disorder. And I always just took it as, okay, the moon has different phases, and so does Mark Spector. Yeah. And I, I get what you're saying in terms of, yeah, we we can't really in in your country or mine, we can't really talk enough about mental health and get enough sure. help for the people that need it. So I, I I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, it does have to be entertaining. And like oh, you said, sure. uh, when you focus on the DID or the Conchu stuff, yeah, it can drag the story down in terms of things you can do with action and pacing and that sort of thing. If it's all real heavy stuff all the time. Well, and the thing is too, like we've with Moon Knight, we've already kind of set the gold standard for telling a DID story straight off the bat, which was, you know, the Jeff Lemire and right. Smallwood run. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to tell that same story better than Jeff Lemire did. Like, I'm just like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to match that. So rather than try to do something that has already been done better than I could do it, I'd rather focus on something that I can do well and then work up to something else uh, along those ideas. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. So, um, and it's been well-received uh, as, yeah, as we know, well, yeah. a lot of people uh, paying attention to Moon Knight because of the, the TV show. I, I personally don't watch a lot of the, the comic uh, mm-hmm. movies and sure. TV stuff just because I don't have time because I'm too busy reading <laughs> comics, but have I you been... Sense. Have you been watching it? Have you been enjoying it? Yeah, I've been watching the show. It's, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, I'm enjoying that they took a lot of different swings in the way they're telling a Moon Knight story. So it's, it's pretty far afield from what you would expect a Moon Knight story to be just from reading comic books because, you know, we've, we've all read these comics and then we build our expectations based on what we know. And they're throwing things at us that are, you know, wildly different from what we expect. And I enjoy that because, you know, I don't need it to be the same as comic books. The comic books are already there. But if you show me something where I, where I'm guessing, where I'm not really sure what to expect from the next episode to the next episode, then, you know, this has got me interested. Yeah. Fair enough. Have you had any um, people who have reached out to you on social media saying, Hey, I picked up your book because I saw the show. Uh, Yeah. Some people there's, there's like like you said, it's having a minute, right? So it's not, I don't know if there's a ton of people getting at me, or at least maybe I'm just not seeing it. I had to set my, uh, my notifications to a much uh, softer kind right. of uh, level as I gain more followers. I'm just like, Oh man, I can't handle this. My phone battery is just dying. <laughs> um, 
but you know, I'll, I'll see people, you know, asking other people on Twitter for recommendations saying, Oh, I've just got into this because of all the hype for the TV show. What do you recommend? And it's, it's nice when I get tagged in when people say, Oh, you know, read the, the current run that, you know, Jim McKay and Alexander Capuccio and Rochelle Rosenberg are doing. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Read that. Yeah. Go on. Well, I, Go on. I mean, honestly, he, you know, we've, he's had, as we've said, different phases of the moon, the, the mirror run, go back to the Doug Munch stuff. Um, you know, the, the, the David Finch, uh, illustrated one, I think it was, uh, was it? Yeah. 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 Uh, he's had so many different Mm -hmm. titles, you know, like going back to what we're saying, like you've got to do the first black cat and Moon Knight is, has had so many different series, some longer than others. And, and yeah, he always, it always seems to struggle to find footing in the end. Uh, and they've, a lot of them have very much of a different flavor and they're not, uh, as New reader accessible is how I'll put it sure. as your run is. I think your, your run, and it probably goes back to what you're talking about of not leaning into the DID stuff, not leaning into the conscious stuff. Your run is real easy. Pick up first issue and, you know, hit the ground running with what you guys are doing. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, it's by, it's by design where we knew that with a TV show coming out, there were going to be people picking this up and it was going to be their first Moon Knight comic. So you know, striking that balance between doing something that is interesting to these long-term Moon Knight fans, because, you know, you know, as you said, Moon Knight, there's, you know, long periods of time between Moon Knight series. So when a new one comes up, people are hyped because they're like, oh, this is our favorite character. We haven't seen a new book from him in like five years or however long. And um, I'm trying to think of the timeline here. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so we want to have something that is exciting and interesting for long-term Moon Knight fans who you know, know the character's history inside out and you know his friends and his villains and what have you, but also setting it up in a way that a new reader can pick it up and know everything they need to know, which I think you know, in part is kind of one of the, the reasons that we've made a break with some of his history and started relatively fresh. And, you know, in, in that respect, the spinning out of the, the Age of Khonshu from Avengers was great for that. Because it put Mark in a position where A, he's super low, and B, everybody hates him. So he's, you know, he's got to make new friends. Yeah, it's a good point. And the, the other thing that you guys pulled in uh, was from the Warren Ellis run, you know, the idea of the, the of the white suit, which is uh, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Now uh, the Ellis run had a, a little bit of a more of a horror vibe. You guys mm-hmm. are sort of playing with that a little bit too. You're bringing in um, some some aspects of of horror, you know, some spookiness. Yeah. Uh, it's not something I've seen in your work before. Uh, is is that is that something you're enjoying doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, the thing I like about Moon Knight is I think he works best when he's on the streets. But I think Moon Knight on the streets is very different than Daredevil on the streets, where Moon Knight is not, deals with street level crime, but it's weird street level crime, and. Okay. I think for me, that's where the, like, in my opinion, I think that's where the character works best is where I'm most interested in him. And that's kind of what we've been ramping up. And, you know, we've got our sort of regular crime stuff. We've got our, uh, our, you know, maniacal villain who's looking to uh, get off on the nice grill as we've seen lately, but there is definitely a kind of like a, you know, a darker bent or, or a horrific bent or a supernatural bent. And I think that's kind of a niche that Moon Knight can claim in the, the sort of street level ecology of, uh, of Marvel comics. Yeah. It, uh, it makes a lot of sense and it sort of dovetails into the, the next thing I want to talk about, which is you got to kill Dr. Strange. Uh, and then the title passed on to his wife, Clea, 
mm-hmm. in the strange title that you, that you relaunched. But man, that I have never been a Doctor Strange fan, but reading your Death of Doctor Strange was it made me a Doctor Strange fan. Like the oh, fact that you got to kill the modern one and then brought in <laughs> the Silver Age one to to sort of solve his own murder. But yeah. it was it was so much more than just a murder mystery. Uh, and you really got to show how important Doctor Strange is in the overall Marvel universe, especially with a lot of the one shots uh, and tie in. So uh, talk a little bit about coming up with um, the ideas, the breadth, the scope of that uh, and how you feel that it turned out now that it's in your rear view. Yeah. So like Death of Doctor Strange came about from the um, King of Black, uh, Black Cat bit because, you know, Doctor Strange was in it. <clears throat> I finished up working on Taskmaster and I need, I needed another project. So I was like, well, there's no Doctor Strange book and there's no Doctor Strange book announced. So I emailed uh, Darren Shan, who's the Doctor Strange editor. I'm like, hey, can I write Doctor Strange? He's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, all right, shit. <laughs> uh, I was like, here's some ideas. He's like, no, actually, we're going to kill him and you can do it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> did, now, did he tell you why they had, why they wanted to kill him? Just be a bit of a laugh. Okay, fair enough. Maybe I so mean, you can that- bring him back right when the movie comes out and you have that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Doctor Strange, I don't think has ever been a big seller right. in the modern, modern period. That's true. So I think it's just kind of like, well, let's, let's try this. You know, let's, let's do something with this character because, you know, his last series got canceled. So let's, let's see what happens. And because, uh, you know, it's, it's like comic books, you know, when in, when in doubt, let's kill someone and see how it takes <laughs> out. Yeah. So that was basically it. It's like, yeah, we're going to kill Dr. Strange. Uh, Brie Voris got this idea that when he dies, his younger self can come out and investigate the mystery. I'm like, that's very elegant. And I uh, really like it. So I will take that. And uh, we took it from there. And then w- did you know right away that you were going to have the follow-up series and you were going to uh, make Clea the sorcerer? No, actually, we um, while we were planning it, and even while we were writing it, we weren't exactly sure how we wanted to end it. So we had you know, two or three different contingencies in place, basically while we were trying mm. to figure things out as things went along. So we're like, Oh, I don't know. What do we, do we want to bring Steven back or do we want to bring Steven back? But he's not the Sorcerer Supreme or do we want to make Wong the Sorcerer Supreme? Or do we want to make Clea the Sorcerer Supreme, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's kind of like bouncing ideas back and forth and, you know, got to a certain point where we're like, okay, you know, Darren's like, listen, we're going to do a follow-up series and you know, you can write it. I'm like, great. And so we started talking about what, what we thought it would look like would be the best way to do it. And like, well, let's eventually settle on Clea because Clea was kind of like the breakout character of Death of Doctor Strange, or at least I thought she got you know, the best emotional beats. And um, I think she's a character who has not gotten a lot of shine in the last, I don't know, however many years, despite being an integral part of Doctor Strange history since like, you know, Strange Tales 120 something, you know? So uh, it was a lot of fun to look at what a book that has strange in the title, but featuring Clea, like what would that look like? How is she going to approach the job differently? How is she, what sort of methods is she going to use? And, you know, looking at the differences between that character, like, you know, she grew up in the dark dimension. She's not human. Uh, her mom is a warlord. Her uncle is the dread Dormammu. So like necessarily she's going to have a different approach to the job. Like she was never a doctor. Uh, you know, she was, she was warlord born. So it's, it's been a lot of fun kind of exploring that different approach and seeing how everybody else is dealing with this. Yeah. It's fair to say that Clea has an edge to her. She doesn't really take anybody's shit. 
Not really, no. <laughs> and like, you know, she's, you know, she's at a, at a tough point in her life where, you know, as we saw in Death of Doctor Strange, you know, at the end of the, the Wade run there, she and Steven were in a good spot and they were going to, they're going to figure things out. And then um, Mephisto took those memories you know, as he does that little scamp. And then once, once strange was dead, the memories came back and, she, and then, you know, so she's in a spot where she's been thwarted and she does not care to be thwarted. And uh, now she's going to try to, you know, thwart back. Now, do you find it, uh, you know, we're, t- we're talking about Clea and what a strong female character you, you, you've made and, and how we've seen her not really taking anybody's crap so far in the series. Not dissimilar from uh, Felicia in that way, you know, we're uh, a really strong female character. I've heard you say in interviews that you, you, you know, you don't necessarily look at the, the character as, you know, male, female, whatever. You just want to write a, a relatable, strong character. But, but is it more challenging to find a, a female voice or do you not even think in that term, in those terms? I mean, not really. Like, I mean, it, it does sound a bit milquetoast to be like, oh, I don't, I don't see male or female. They're just a character. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of shape. You're like, I don't see race. Um, <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, my main concern is just to create or, you know, not create, but depict a character that, that is interesting and fun to read about. Uh, so, you know, characters who, you know, they have their strengths and things they're good at, but also, they're all they're always defined by what they want. Uh, you see that a lot. You know, that's that's a, a running theme of Black Cat is you know, you know everybody wants something, and you know if you can get those people what they want, then you can get your way. And and strange, what Clea wants is very clear. She wants what's hers because you know she's of the fall team. She's she's a warlord, uh, well heir to a warlord, and you know warlords get what they want. They don't let people take things that are theirs. Yeah. So, it's an excellent, yeah sorry go ahead i was saying you know it's not necessarily a laudable uh thing but also you know these characters these characters don't need to be perfect and you know shouldn't be you know these characters have their flaws their obsessions the the things that they want to the um to the detriment of all other things so when you're approaching a, a character and yeah, like you said, certainly when, when it comes to Felicia, she's a, she's a thief. And when she sees mm-hmm. something she wants, she takes it. That's sort of her, yeah. her you know, motivation. Is that always your approach when you go to uh, start looking at this new character? Okay. My, my in, how I'm going to find my hook mm-hmm. is I'm going to look at the, what they want, what, you know, what are their mm-hmm. motivations? What are they trying to get? Do you always approach it from that initial uh, point uh, perspective? I mean, essentially, because that's, that's I mean, what I find the most relatable thing about something because you know, everybody wants something. We all want things. And a great deal of our life is based around how we fulfill those. And, you know, it's not necessarily wanting like, Oh, I want a car, but like, you know, I want to want to look after my family or I want to help people or, you know, I want to want to create things. And these are the things that drive all of us. So looking at what a character wants and what they're willing to do to get it. I think is one of the most useful kind of methods for me to get in the head of a character and like figure out how this is going to go. And the other thing is like, how can I make them do cool things and say stuff that sounds awesome? <laughs> yeah. Going back to what we said at the beginning, right. It's yeah. always, it's gotta be entertaining. At the end well, of I mean, that's, day. that's the thing. Like no, no one's looking for me to write, uh, write an entirely prose issue about someone's uh, internal conflict. They still got to okay. blow things up and like, you know, dr- drive cars off ramps. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, like I said, uh, you've made me a Dr. Strange fan. I've been loving what you're, you're doing with, uh, with Clea so far. Uh, I also want to touch on uh, Spider-Man. Were you part of the, the beyond board, uh, you know, talking about doing these weekly books? Uh, it was almost like a TV writer's room uh, mm-hmm. style. Were you part of that? No, no. I've, if I was anything on the beyond board, it'd be like, you know, the intern or like the, the guy who delivers the mail. Uh, I just, I just would step in and fill in for stuff when uh, it just needed to be done. So Nick, Nick would email me like, you know, I need 15 pages of Colleen Wing and uh, Misty Knight. I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got you'll, that you'll, in my tool you'll, bag. You'll, you'll have it in two days, no problem. <laughs> or like, you know, I need, I need like three pages of Morbius or like, uh, you know, six pages of Ben Riley fighting through security. I'm like, yeah, all right, sure. Why not? No problem. <laughs> Yeah, is he somebody? I mean, I, I have to imagine. Uh, I know you grew up, uh, you know, reading your dad's comics, a lot of mm-hmm. Marvel stuff. Uh, so I have to imagine you have uh, a bucket list of characters that you, you would want to work on. And anybody who's at Marvel probably has a Spider-Man story or two in their back pocket. I, so I imagine you do as well. I mean, I've got, I have some Spider-Man thoughts certainly. Uh, I wouldn't say about you know an arc or something ready to roll, but uh, you know, he's, a, he's a fun character. I like working with Spider-Man a lot. I mean, obviously, I kind of you know made my name such as it is off you know the spider office you know black cat being a spider-man character so yeah it's a it's it's a it's a great great corner of the marvel universe yeah and uh to to your credit you've taken some of these characters that aren't as well known i mean moon knight obviously stars on the rise but we talked about you know dr strange not exactly being a a traditionally a bestseller black cat never had a regular series before you took took her on Mm -hmm. Uh, another mini that you did and he's one of my all-time favorite characters and in fact i have a mark brooks commission in you oh, know wow. when mark brooks did those tron inspired yeah so i have a i have a taskmaster that is in the tron style that mark <laughs> brooks did for me and you did the taskmaster mini and taskmaster is 100 the protagonist but you didn't try to go a different way and turn him into a hero or make him a good guy uh-huh. you just leaned into who he was that had to be a blast to do Oh, that's great. I mean, I, I really like Taskmaster. I keep like shoehorning him into things uh, just because I think he's a delight. But um, so, you know, Chris Robinson emailed me. I'm like, I, I got something for you. If you got the time, I'm like, well, what is it? It's like, it's Taskmaster series. I'm like, yeah, I got the time. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was really exciting. It's a lot of fun because, you know, I like characters a bit sassy. I like characters a bit silly. And uh, Taskmaster is very much both of those. Well, at the same time being, you know, like a stone cold badass. But at the same time, he's kind of like a shitty coward. And there's all these kind of contradictions. You know, he's being pulled in different directions all the time by his various, excuse me, a worst impulses and worst self that uh, it makes him a lot of fun to work on. Yeah. And you got to bring in uh, another, obviously, like I mentioned right at the start, everybody, this idea of Taskmaster having his own book because he was in the Black Widow yeah. uh, movie. So Black Widow had to be in it. But you also got to bring in Nick Fury, who you, uh, you know, said talked about earlier is, is such a great character as well. Yeah, because I had Taskmaster and Fury uh, meet up in Daughters of the Drag in the series I wrote. And I basically, I, as I was writing, I'm like, you know, having a, a sensible chuckle to myself as I'm writing these interactions of Taskmaster and Fury, just like being extremely passive aggressive to one another mm-hmm. and like just being real catty bitches. <laughs> um, because, you know, Taskmaster was the first costumed villain fury ever met and i think that's really funny that they're still associating now like all these well all our years later you know because that was like that was before fury was fury like he was just a you know 
I think it was a ranger and went was went back to back home because mom had died and yeah, he goes Mark, to her house and like taskmasters yeah. there yeah <laughs> marcus like, johnson right he wasn't even yeah. called wasn't even going by nick fury then oh yeah because I mean, he had two eyes and he had hair <laughs> yeah. and so they have this like long history that i think it's just really funny because they do not like each other but they cannot get away from each other because they just run in the same circles and like we're you know work the same business so I was like, yeah, I got it. This has got to be like a Fury Taskmaster buddy kind of situation. Yeah, it was a fantastic series. I highly recommend it uh, for anybody. If you're not a Taskmaster fan, you will be by the, the end of it. Uh, and I would love for you to come back to the character at, at some point. I, I think I've heard you oh, say yeah. you, you have some more Taskmaster stories as well. Yeah, I've got at least like two more Taskmaster series in my pocket just because he's just he's such a fun character to work with. And you know, he's, uh, he's, he's great. Like he looks awesome. You know, he's got that awesome costume with like the pirate boots and like the, the underpants over his pants and the skull mask. And then like Alessandro did such a good job drawing it. Like, I don't think I've ever seen such a good taskmaster and like his skull mask was so like expressive, improbably so, but it looked so good and it worked so well. Yeah, it's a fantastic series. And, and not only was the interior art, I, I, there wasn't a bad cover, like regular or variant. There wasn't oh, yeah. a bad cover. Yeah, that whole right. series. They were they were awesome. Uh, well, if anybody's watching us on YouTube, you'll you'll notice uh, in the bottom corner there. Of course, I picked the Jay Spellerin cover. Uh, I used to play Magic the Gathering. You write Magic oh, nice. the Gathering for um, Boom Studios. I haven't played it in years, but I'm, I'm curious, how familiar were you with the property? Did you ever used to, to play it or was it for you just a, hey, I'm going to learn about this world and, and uh, write some fantasy stories? Oh, yeah. Like I, was, I was big into magic in the 90s uh, when I was in high school. I've got uh, just over there, I found at my parents' house, I thought I'd thrown away a, a, st- a stack this big of Inquest magazines, which nice. uh, was, it was, it was such, I was so pleased when I realized I hadn't thrown those out. And um I took them home and just like absolutely elated. But yeah, I've still got like my old box of cards here somewhere. Um, uh, so yeah, like I had a lot of familiarity with the magic up till about the year 2000. Gotcha. So when I got the job, you know, I had nothing else going on. COVID shut down all my Marvel books and boom, got at me and like, Hey, do you want to do a magic book? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, a, I have a lot of affection for the property and B, I have literally nothing else going on right now. So I will absolutely work on this. <laughs> Um, so I had to catch up on the, the, the continuity that, you know, the, the story of the game. I was like, ah, I can't, you know, how much can have changed in 20 years? Turns out a lot. <laughs> um, luckily I had a, a friend of mine from high school who, you know, we used to play together all the time, hadn't really ever left. So he was very up on the lore. So he was able to give me a lot of coaching as I was trying to put together my first pitch because, you know, so much had changed. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was looking at these wikis and like, none of this makes sense to me. This is like, there's just such a volume of information because, you know, by the time I stopped playing and paying attention to the game to the present, they really doubled down on story uh, and characters and stuff like that. So it was a real, it was a real catch up, but it was a lot of fun to work with, you know, this work with this property that I, you know, I grew up playing and like being really, really into yeah, that was going to be my my question because I so I quit right around the time the, the Planeswalkers uh, first uh, showed up in the in the card game, and I, they were heading in that story direction. But mm-hmm. it didn't seem like there was a lot. It, it almost seemed like if you're coming into it as a as a writer, you know, as opposed to coming in to write, you know, uh, a Marvel character where you got to worry about you know decades of continuity, 
this might be a little easier. It sounds like that actually wasn't the case with magic. Well, no, because like even a Marvel character that I'm not, I'm not familiar with, I'm familiar with everything around them. Gotcha. Whereas there had been a complete, you know, cosmic shift in what a planeswalker was since the last time. I mean, like, like I said, I stopped paying attention to it around 2000. So this mm-hmm. has been like invasion set. Right. So at that point in time, planeswalkers were like characters of, you know, godlike importance and power. And since then they've been depowered to be, you know, much more sort of like a superhero mm-hmm. type, uh, type character. So it was a real shift for me to get my head around. So like, Oh, we got one book following these planeswalkers. I'm like, but they're so powerful. <laughs> And like, no, actually, they're not. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> well, Magic players are known to be extremely passionate uh, about the game. Uh, is there a, a pretty passionate following for for the uh, for the book? Is there a good community around it? Yeah, there are some for sure. It's um, they're not. I, I don't hear about it as much, but I mean, the book is selling, so people are reading it. Uh, it's just you know, working with Marvel superheroes and stuff. You're used to people chirping off about it all the time mm-hmm. whereas you get a lot less of that with magic um either because you know they're focused on you know the card set or you know because it's a licensed thing so there's there's a lot less kind of debate and discussion about it than you would get from something like you know a marvel book or a dc book because that's first and foremost a, a comic book property right. that's the, that's the main sort of um avenue for those stories whereas magic is a licensed book so it's I'm not going to say secondary, but certainly an alternate sort of story family from the, you know, the main, the core story family that's in the, the card games. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I know you've been getting back into the the con scene a little bit as hopefully we're, mm-hmm. we're coming out of COVID. Have you had any magic fans uh, approach you at cons yet to, to sign magic books as opposed to the superhero stuff? That's a good question. So what do you, I was at Toronto Comic-Con I think there must have been some magic books. Uh, I actually get a better, more more magic people come to like, signings at stores. I find oh, gotcha. Than uh, than the shows uh, for whatever reason. I think. I, I mean, know, it might just be more their environment, like you know that that's where they I, go to buy their cards, as opposed to why would they go to a comic con if it. I think so because because if, if you're playing magic, you're not interested in comics. I don't think there's a whole lot at uh, you know a, a comic convention for you. Whereas at a store, you know, the store is kind of like the hub of a magic scene where people will right. play, you know, there's Friday night magic. It's where they buy their cards, where they trade their cards, sell their cards, et cetera. So it just kind of makes sense. That's a little more of a, more of a hub for magic players than would necessarily be a comic convention. If, you know, they weren't already interested in, right. uh, you know, other comic stuff. Right. Are you, uh, are you planning long form for, for, uh, for magic? I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm not into it anymore. I don't read, but I find it fascinating uh, that it has trans because they've tried it before uh, a few oh, yeah. times uh, and it, it's never lasted as long as it is this time. So, you know, are, is, is it, a, are you going big? Are you going long form stories? Is it more of one and done? like, what's uh, the story structure you're, you're going for? Uh, so yeah, we're basically doing 10 issue arcs. Um, I'm kind of regarding it as, you know, seasons for, for lack of a better term, where, you know, from one to 10, we, we deal with a huge threat. And then 11 to 20, we're dealing with an even bigger threat and, you know, just kind of ramping it up each time. So it is, you know, I'll just keep going until they, uh, until they tell me to stop. <laughs> you know, like any comic book, it's not going to go on forever, but right. it's, it's had a pretty good run, you know, certainly a better one than you would expect for a lot of licensed stuff. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, you mentioned, uh, and, and we talked about kind of your, your way in uh, to the industry, which was a little, a little different. And everybody has a different, different way in, and then they <laughs> seal up the hole behind you. 
Um, you haven't done a lot of creator-owned stuff. Didn't you know necessarily get noticed doing that? Do you have an itch to do that uh, in the future? Is that something that's on your yeah. on your radar? Yeah, for sure. It's it's something I always want to do. Um, I, I just find it kind of tough because it's. I mean, I'm, I'm kept very busy with my Marvel stuff right now. You know, I'm on an exclusive contract as well, so I have you know obligations there. But yeah, like I've I've definitely have projects that I would like to do. It's just a matter of you know finding the time for them really. And also, you know, finding the paper because apparently it's very difficult to yeah. get um, you know, indie stuff out now. And, you know, you're not, you know, nothing's going back for a second run from image, you know, for instance. So it's not exactly the easiest time in the world to do it. Yeah, so, no. And I, and I would think that, uh, you know, looking at the past, some of the other creators who've been lucky enough to work at Marvel, like yourself, you know, yeah, strike while the iron is hot at Marvel, help, you know, build up your uh, profile, build up your name, you know, hopefully more, more readers will, discover your stuff so that when you do go to do something creator owned or independent, you've got that bigger following to, you know, to help get it off the ground. Yeah. I mean, there's also very much kind of a make hay while the sun shines kind of mentality where, you know, my, my work with Marvel, I do it and I get paid almost immediately. And then I don't have to worry about where the paper's coming from or like when it's going to get printed, you know? So while that work is there, then, you know, I do that work, but I, I am very aware that, you know, I want to, I want to build something that, I have more ownership over build something I have more equity or stake in. Um, so hopefully in the future, I can start working on something like that because there's other stories I want to tell outside of superhero stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll just see when that shakes out. Yeah. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll certainly have you back on to, uh, to help spread the word when the time is right. Oh, I'm pretty sure every pot, every podcast has ever been on. will get an email from me saying, Hey, I want to, I, I want to talk about this book. Yeah. Miser, you, uh, I scratch your back. Now you scratch mine. Yeah, so you, you guys owe me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's been great chatting with you, Jed. You're, you're doing gangbusters, man. Congratulations on all the success. Uh, as we're winding down here, is there anything you want to uh, share with our listeners? Uh, not much. Just, you know, I've got some books coming out. So Moon Knight is ongoing. Um, Strange is ongoing. Magic is ongoing. Um, their schedules being shifted around a little bit in May, but the books are still coming out. And, uh, in June, again, June, I believe we have iron cat starting up, which is going to be a lot of fun getting to, uh, get back into the, uh, the black cat litter box and, uh, see what we can dig up. Fantastic. Uh, if somebody wants to uh, follow along your work online, uh, are you active on social media? Is there, is there a best place they can, uh, they can follow you? Yeah, like my my basically sole public facing social media is my Twitter. So it's just uh, you know at Jed McKay, J E D M A C K A Y, <clears throat> not M C K A Y, which uh, seems to be a perhaps more common than my the actual spelling of my name. But uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I usually just kind of talk about comics that that tickle my fancy and uh, do a lot of shameless self promotion. Fantastic. Uh, I'll put a link to Jed's social media in the show notes, everybody. So if you're having trouble finding them or can't remember how to spell it, just go click there and, and you'll find it. So uh, again, Jed, uh, Jed, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate the time. Uh, to be on. Yeah. Best of luck in the future. And to all you listeners, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate the support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. 
or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.